Hello, this is Stanley Clark, and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast. Weekly music news for the new music business. From music business worldwide, Universal partners with generative AI startup Endel to create AI-powered, artist-driven, functional music. Also from Music Business Worldwide, there are now 120,000 new tracks hitting music streaming services each day. And from Billboard, songwriters' streaming rates from 2018 to 2022 have been determined, finally. And lastly, from Music Ally, dispelling the utopian dream, the complex reality of music royalties. Mm. Oh my God, we've got so much to talk about today, Jay. We say that every week, but it's true every it week. Really so, oh, glad you're here. This is episode 146 of the podcast. Jay and I are going to get started right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your morning coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. And now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. And it is good to see you, Jay. And I think one would be uh, remiss if they didn't, it, it seems like every week, I should say, I tell you, uh, how was your trip to Nashville? Because you go to Nashville, <laughs> it seems like every week. Well, the last couple of weeks it has been. Typically we go every few months, but uh, you know, we had the Music uh, Biz Conference and then this last week uh, I flew back. Um, it was a quick trip. Um, we had Kendall Inskeep um, playing live, and she's phenomenal. And we uh, we saw Rick Springfield. Um, I shot the show at the Ryman Auditorium, and for those who have never been oh. there, it's it's a very special venue. It's basically it a church. Is. I mean, the seats are yeah. pews, <laughs> and it is such a historic um, venue uh, for all the artists that have played there. Um, but it's just it's you feel like there's not a bad seat in the house. It, you, everything feels like it's right up. And it's not, um, I've only been there once, but the I expect it to be bigger than it was. Yeah. I, I don't know what the capacity is, but it's it's not a gigantic place. No. It's, but it just has that that magic, that vibe, that, you know, that history. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just there. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, it reminds me a little of bit of the, the size of the Wiltern. But um, before we did the sound check, um, they have, you know, tourists and visitors can come and get their photo taken, you know, in front of the stage mm -hmm. that all of these great um, artists have played on uh, for decades. 
And there were a lot of people getting their picture taken and they have a really great store there. And, uh, it was, it was really cool to, uh, see that, uh, at the Ryman. Nice. Well, and you guys have been busy on the Behind the Setless podcast. You've got a couple of cool, interesting things happening. On yeah, that. thanks. We we just released um, Need to Breathe. Um, if, you, if you're not familiar with the band Need to Breathe, uh, they're phenomenal. And we interviewed their uh, chief, you know, singer, songwriter, uh, Bear Reinhardt. And that dropped us last week. And then yesterday we recorded an interview with one of my favorite bands, uh, Toad the Wet Sprocket. And I know you love those guys, mm-hmm. too. And uh, yeah, they're they're heading out on a pretty substantial tour and it's got to stop near you and i think i'm gonna you know get in the old jalopy we, and and drive on up and <laughs> and see it get in the family station yeah, wagon that's exactly and, right <laughs> drive north a little bit yeah they've uh, they because there was a period of time there where they were not dormant but where they weren't doing a lot of tour dates where the singer was doing some solo yeah. shows and stuff so nice to see them back out on the road yeah. and they're from Santa Barbara, just a little bit north of here. And uh, yeah, that'll be fun. Fun show to see. Cause, uh, yeah, let's do that one together. And, and, that'll know, be fun. Yeah, let's do that one. Yeah. And it's one of those bands where you kind of, it's. I still think of them as sort of a new band. Yeah. <laughs> and they're anything but a new band. They've been around for a long time. Now, yeah. But, uh, yeah, we got to talk big, to uh, Glenn and uh, Dean, and they're just great people. They're, they're music fans. And I talked to them a little bit about um, there was a Kiss cover album called Kiss My Ass that came back and came out in the 90s. had Garth Brooks doing Hard Luck Woman and it had Toad the Wet Sprocket doing rock and roll all night. You know, Kiss's biggest song, you know, their signature song. And they did this really cool kind of acoustic, you know, counterpoint and uh, Gene Simmons has said that it's like his favorite version of that song. And it's, oh, it's wow. unlike, oh, it's, they've very much made it their own. So I highly recommend uh, checking that out. And then, of course, we'll let you know when the, uh, when the podcast drops. And then another great conversation that we had this last week, um, you and I talk about the Music Modernization Act. And then from that, um, the Mechanical Licensing Collective, the MLC. And we dropped that a lot in in the uh, podcast. And I had a couple of people ask me like, you know, what you, you talk about the MLC, what, what, what is the MLC? And I thought who better to explain it, um, is Chris Arend and he's the CEO, um, of the, uh, MLC. Great guy. Um, anyway, let's, let's listen into that. I think this is super informative. This is uh, Chris Arend from the MLC. Chris, thanks so much for joining me today. Always a pleasure. Um, tell us a little bit about the MLC. What what does the MLC do? Sure, and great to be here with you too, Jay. Um, we're uh, an administration organization. We work on the publishing side of the business, and our job is to collect and distribute a set of royalties uh, that are owed to uh, songwriters and their music publishing partners. Those royalties are paid by digital streaming services that operate in the U.S. and a handful of download services that operate in the U.S. Awesome. You've uh, even out some milestones lately. You've you've been growing. You've been evolving. Talk a little bit about where the MLC is at today. Yeah, we're a little more than uh, two years into full operations. Um, we, uh, we distribute royalties monthly, and uh, we just did our 26th monthly royalty distribution. Uh, in that time, we have distributed um, over a billion dollars in digital audio mechanicals to our members 
those um, publishers and self-administered songwriters. So a whole lot of money has come in and gone out in a really short period of time. That's amazing. Um, a lot of times we'll read stories about money that's being placed into the black box um, before it's distributed. Can can you kind of clear that up for us? What what is the black box? Sure, it's um it's an industry term that that can be used generally to describe uh, monies that an organization collects and is supposed to pay out to a rights holder that for whatever reason they have not been able to pay out. So for a number of years leading up to the MMA, the piece of federal legislation that led to the creation of the MLC, digital services had royalties that they were holding that they could not figure out um, how to pay out or they couldn't find the person to whom they should be paid. And the the term black box is meant to um, uh, refer to the fact that those monies were often not visible to the recipients or the intended recipients. So a rights holder might know that the digital service is holding some royalties, but they wouldn't know how much in royalties the service was holding. Um, they wouldn't be able to access any information about the royalties that were being held. So essentially, it was as if those royalties were locked up in a in a dark room um, where no one could see it or a black yeah. box. Yeah. How can artists learn more? Before we hit record, I was telling you how much I love your website and how easy it is. Um, you don't have to be a master of you know, publishing and masters and all of that to go onto this website. There are some infographics, there's some videos. Talk a little bit about how people can learn more about claiming what's rightfully theirs. Yeah, well, as you said, we, we have uh, a ton of information on our website, um, which is, uh, you can find at www.themlc.com. And that information is intended to make it as easy as possible for our, our rights holders, members, and any prospective members to understand what we do, how it works, and um, and what they can do to connect with us and then uh, help ensure that they're getting paid properly. We also have a ton of video content, um, everything from you know a 60-second explainer video that at a high level says this is what the MLC does, um, up to hour-long webinars that we've recorded and posted um, online so that folks can go back and really dig in deeply to a particular aspect of our operations. So, so for anyone who wants to know more, um, go to our website and from there you can go to our social media channels or to our YouTube channel. And uh, there is a ton of information there that will help you learn more about us. Uh, there's even um, a bunch of information that we translated into Spanish and French um, for folks awesome. who may not uh, feel as comfortable reading in English. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. I, I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time. Uh, always a pleasure. Hope to see you again soon. Thanks so much, Jay. Well, it's it's so nice because, again, the, these things are so mysterious, <laughs> these organizations and this topic. And, you know, talking about the black box and all of that oh, stuff. Oh, my gosh. really fascinating and good, yeah, really, a good conversation and very interesting. Yeah, it really shines a light on it. And listen, uh, for our listeners, don't ever feel like you're, you know, out of touch or, you know, ignorant because you don't know some of these things. We're just finding some of these things out ourselves. And there's a great saying my grandfather uh, used to say, which is an idiot is someone who doesn't know what you just found out. <laughs> right. <laughs> so this stuff's evolving and changing very quickly. So we'll, we'll bring people on to kind of explain uh, you know, what some of these things are, but feel free to reach out to us anytime if you feel like we're dropping too much uh, jargon. Well, and, it, you know, 
when you're in when you're in the business, you tend to kind of focus on the on the on the uh, verticals that that you are involved with, and so. Um, I think one of the things that we're always trying to do is kind of step out of the verticals we know about and learn more about these things and mechanical royalties and just royalties in general and the way these things are calculated. It's, it is very complex. And at least certainly for the bulk of my part of the, of the business, I didn't deal with it very often, you know? And, and so it's really interesting to learn about the, the nuts and bolts of all this stuff. It's a complex business, you know, with, you know, the master side and the publishing side and all of these, you know, neighboring rights and just all of these PROs and it it is complex. So one of the pieces we're going to cover our last piece is really about the complexity of music royalties. And, uh, it's from music ally and, and we'll get to that, but it's, I think it's, it's super interesting and we always learn things from these stories. Oh, absolutely. By the way, when we do this podcast, speaking of interesting things, we do it with our wonderful sponsors. Couldn't do it without them. And, uh, you know, we always have to give a shout out because we could not do this podcast. We've been so lucky since we started it to have them aboard. And uh, we are lucky hombres. We sure are. And they're, they're, you know, our sponsors are things that we use and mm-hmm. read and products that we use. So um, the first one is HypeBot. You know, since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are really changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It's edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton. Thank you, Bruce. Uh, with help from Alana Bonilla, HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform, Bands in Town. You betcha, Bands in Town. Over 74 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist service platform connecting over 560,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Big thanks to yeah. HypeBot and Bands in Town. And of course, yes. every week I get to hang out with the king, the guru, the happening chap, Jay Gilbert. <laughs> he is a music business consultant. He's the curator of the weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal, Sony, and Warner Music Groups and a big fan of guacamole and avocados. Yes, we I discussed am. Early, I'm late. Earlier yeah. today. I'm late to that party, but, uh, you know, I can't wait uh, for the weekend because I get to sit down with uh, my friend Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music Groups. Yes, and we are, we've been doing this for a long time now, and boy, it's uh, every week when we say episode 100, in this case 146, I'm like, <laughs> has it really been 146 episodes? Oh my gosh, it has. so much fun. It, it is so much fun, it is so much fun. Hey Jay, you know, last week we talked about, uh, when you were at Music Business Conference, the uh, you had a conversation or a, a panel with Tracy Chan from SoundCloud about fans, and uh then you got a chance to do to chat with him again, and so we're we've got an audio drop with Tracy. Yeah, we talked about fans, and just to remind uh, the audience, that's this new platform that SoundCloud has, where you can d- directly uh, communicate with uh, your biggest fans and also artists that are following you. And yeah, I had this great conversation with uh, Tracy at Music Biz, but I wanted to bring him on and explain uh, what's going on over there at SoundCloud. So let's listen in. Tracy, thanks for joining me. Um, Tell us about the recent launch of SoundCloud fans 
what it is and what it does. Yeah. So um, before I describe the tool, maybe I'll take a step back and kind of describe the problem that we're trying to solve. Um, and, you know, first it starts with the music streaming business model, right? The promise of the music streaming business model is, hey, we know that it doesn't pay that well, but what you can do when all of the world's information is available, or all the world's music rather, is available to consumers, you know, you as an artist can go find some fans, um, have them fall in love with your music, and then you can sell them tickets and merch where we know, you know, artists make the majority of their money. Um, but here's the thing, that promise is super empty. Um, and it's a broken promise because music streaming platforms don't tell artists who their fans are. And it's not just the music streaming platforms. Lots of companies don't tell their artists, uh, don't tell artists who their fans are. Ticketing companies don't tell artists who are in the audience of their shows. Merch companies don't tell artists, you know, who's purchasing their merch. Um, and so this is kind of what brought us to the fans tool in SoundCloud for artists. So, you know, for the first time at a music streaming DSP, we are telling artists who their top fans are through a combination of um, proprietary data that we have from fan-powered royalties, um, which is basically a royalty uh, system in which artists get paid from fans who listen to them, which is seemingly radical, but <laughs> that's yeah. kind of like how it should work. Um, it is specific to SoundCloud because SoundCloud is the only major DSP who has this fan-powered royalty model. So we take signals from there. We take signals of how uh, listeners are engaged with artist content. So are they commenting on your songs? Are they adding them to playlists? Are they sharing them to socials? Are they reposting them on SoundCloud? Are they following you? Things like that. Um, and we look at other characteristics of that listener. Are they an artist? Um, are they a repeat listener? Things like that. We come up with this top list of fans and we present it to the artist saying like, here are your top fans on SoundCloud. And then we take the next step forward where you can instantly direct message those fans one-to-one -one, yeah. um, and just start a conversation. And we're really excited about this launch. Well, tell us about, you've launched it or launched, you, you've rolled it out, I should say, to what, around 50,000 so far? What's the plan to get it out to more people? Yeah, so we've um, taken a, a slow approach in order to kind of build the tool right. So um, probably about eight weeks or so ago, um, we launched it to about 10,000 artists, mm -hmm. um, including um, artists who are monetizing directly on SoundCloud. We also talked with Warner Music Group artists because they're on our fan power royalty model as well. Um, and we just kind of figured out, like, what are the important signals to them? How do they think about just different facets of fandom? Do they, you know, does the fan contribute money to them? Are they engaging with them? Do they have huge social reaches on SoundCloud? Things like that. So we've developed the tool, you know, with that set of artists. Um, and then about two weeks ago, we rolled it out to uh, that additional 50,000 artists. Um, and we're going to just keep on continuing to roll it out and roll it out. What we want to do is make sure that we get the tool right. We continue to develop these new features because yeah. this, you can think of this launch as the start, not the end. Um, and we'll just continue to roll it out to more and more artists. It's a big step. Congratulations. We'll be watching really closely. Thanks for uh, joining us today, Trace. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Jack. Hey, good job, Jay. Very interesting. Well, what do you say we jump into the stories, Jay? It's uh, the first one is this is a really interesting mm -hmm. one uh, from Music Business Worldwide. Universal partners with generative AI startup Endel to create AI-powered, artist-driven, functional music. Wow. Functional music. 
when I saw that headline, I'm like, what's functional music? <laughs> Isn't all <laughs> music functional? No, That's this was, I... this is such a big week, uh, for Endel. Um, and, and also, uh, Endel's CEO, Oleg, uh, Stavitsky. And, um, we'll get to our conversation in a moment, but this is really an interesting partnership because you and I talk about that Napster moment, right? Mm -hmm. Where, what are we going to do? Are we going to try to sue AI out of oblivion, you know, or into oblivion, I should say, are we going to fight it? And you and I were concerned that the music industry might take that approach. And we had hoped that they would uh, adapt to it and partner with it and embrace mm -hmm. it. And guess what? They did. They did. This article, by the way, from Marie Stassen, and it starts off uh, by saying the uh, Universal Music Group has entered into a first-of-its-kind strategic relationship with generative AI sound wellness startup Endel to create what they call AI-powered, artist-driven, functional <laughs> music. And I, there you get it. It's like... <laughs> such a funny word. I don't know. It sounds like something Devo would say. It's functional music. Well, I think that's um, part of it. You know, the, the functional part, because they do music for sleep, for running, mm -hmm. relaxation. Mm -hmm. And I think all of that's really interesting. And we've heard about that, you know, for a few years now, uh, you know, these companies that are making um, with AI, they're making that type of music. But what I think is a little bit more groundbreaking is that you and I have covered a lot of stories where people are using someone's body of work and creating, quote unquote, like new recordings based on uh, that intellectual property. And I love the fact that not only can Endel, Endel do that, but that Universal is bold and brave enough to bring them on board. And before we get too deep into the story... Um, I had a chance to speak with Oleg uh, Stavitsky, the uh, CEO of Endel, uh, earlier this morning on a holiday weekend. Um, and I want, I want to play the conversation. It's only a few minutes, but it's super interesting. And I, I think the theme of this is, uh, and I think uh, Jonathan, his publicist, said to me, we come in peace, <laughs> you know, like don't fear AI, generative AI and what can be done with it, embrace it. Um, and so let's, let's listen into my conversation, um, with Oleg. Oleg, thanks so much for joining me today. It's such a pleasure to speak with you. I know you've had a crazy week. Thanks for taking the time <laughs> on a holiday weekend, no less. Uh, let's kick it off by, you know, tell me about Endel and your role with the company. Um, so I am the CEO and one of the six co-founders at Endel. And uh, Endel, you know, the way we are thinking about Endel is first and foremost, it's a, it's a technology company. We have built this proprietary patented, scientifically validated technology that creates soundscapes, personalized soundscapes that help you focus, relax and sleep with the power of sound. Nice. So this last week uh, must have been just a crazy week for you. There was a Universal Music Group announcement. It was announced that your, your company, Endel, has entered into a strategic partnership with UMG. And under this groundbreaking agreement, both companies will use Endel's proprietary AI technology, and that'll let UMG artists 
reimagine their music, create science-backed soundscapes, like you just mentioned, designed to enhance a listener's wellness using both new music and new versions of catalog music. But I'd love you to talk about that, but this isn't your first partnership in music. Um, you teamed up with Warner Music Group a few years ago. You've worked with Amazon. Talk about how this partnership is different and what it's all about. Well, yeah, maybe it makes sense to talk a little bit about how our soundscapes are created in general. And it, it's going to make sense then, like, why we wanted to partner with UMG. Because the way we create our soundscapes is we have an in-house sound team. And that team creates or created in the past a library of stems, samples, so individual sounds ranging from one to 10 seconds long, you know, like individual notes, pads, chords, things like that. And then what the algorithm does, it depending on the chosen function, you know, if we're talking about focus, relax, or sleep, it picks the right stems, splices them together, overlays them with some post-processing effects, and then there's a few AI systems on top of that that generate kind of melodical structures. And that's how... The, soundscape, uh, the soundscapes are created in general on Endel because Endel exists in, in two forms, right? Like there's there's Endel the app where all of this is happening in real time and personalized to you. And then there's Endel content on the DSPs where we are essentially using the same process but then exporting the resulting soundscape as a static recording and publishing it on DSPs. And in 2020, we had this idea of, you know, what would happen if we were to invite a music artist to collaborate with us? And they would create a stamp pack according to our scientific guidelines, according to our scientific framework that we have built. And we would feed those stamps into our technology and it would create an endo soundscape. So it would still be a, a scientifically engineered functional soundscape, but it would have this unmistakable flavor, right, like of somebody else's work. And on that model, we've worked with Grimes, Miguel, James Blake, Plastic Man, the Alan Watts organization. So we've worked with a lot of artists who in the past created stems specifically for us. And could, but oh, I'm sorry, go our, ahead. Yeah, our, our technology has evolved since then to a point where you can take any stems, right? Like, so you don't have to create stems specifically for us. We can take any stems from any existing music, feed them into our technology, and then we would create a functional soundscape version of that source material, right? Like, so, and that's exactly, that was my pitch to UMG from day one. And we have been in talks with them for two years. I was saying, look, with the click of a button, we can turn all of your catalog into functional soundscapes. We can literally double your catalog. We can create sleep versions of you know, Miles Davis. We can create sleep versions of The Weeknd. So any any music you feed into the technology, you, we can create a functional version of. That's absolutely amazing. Oleg, uh, thank you so much for joining us and shedding a little light on this. Uh, we'll be following this story very closely. We appreciate it. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much fascinating 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 again yes. you know we, when you talk about and and you know now now that i've kind of gotten used to this this thing called functional music it's actually a very descriptive name and and it's you know it's it's not the same thing as a song it's but it's it's 
categorized with music. But again, we're talking about, as they say, or as, as, as the article says, represents one of the largest subcategories of music listening worldwide, encompassing an estimated 15 billion streams a month across all music platforms. So it, wow. it, it's a beast, you know, it's that substantial amount of listening streams. Yeah. And huge. Well, huge. you know, even that, you know, chill music, um, a, a friend of mine at Amazon was telling me that the number one search term, you know, for their smart speaker, which shall not be named because I'm surrounded by all of them, um, was chill music before the pandemic. So people would come home, they're tired, you know, they've had a long day at work. They just want to have dinner, maybe a glass of wine. And they ask their device to play chill music. Now, during the lockdown, it, I had read that it changed to children's music because a lot of parents were, yeah. you know, they had their kids at home, you know, during the lockdown. Um, I'd be curious to see if it's back to chill. But, you know, when you talk about 15 billion streams a month across all music platforms, those are those things we mentioned, like, you know, chill music, music for sleep, relaxation, and even, you know, maybe mood music, like dinner music or something that you listen to when you're exercising. So, that's part of the equation is that, right? And that's, it's a beast. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and it's, you know, it, it's what we used to just sort of refer to as passive music or passive sounds, I suppose. And this kind of, to be honest, my introduction to that started way, way back with Brian Eno's album, Music for Airports, back in the 70s, I guess that came out. So, you know, this is, it, it, it's a huge category. And and I actually kind of like some of this stuff because you know, you're the same way. When, whenever I, it's hard for me to 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 listen to music passively, yeah. Because I, I I love music so much. I play, and it's you know I, I as soon as something comes on, I, I, my attention goes to that immediately. So this sort of thing, this these. Uh, this kind of uh, calling it music is is not necessarily correct, even. So, but 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 I guess it is. It's it's more than it's not music. Well, um, yeah, it, we almost need another phrase. But functional music is is very appropriate <laughs> phrase. Music. And and yeah, it's well. I, I mean, like to listen like to you. music all day long. But when I'm when I need to focus on something, I a friend of mine turned me on a few years ago to lo-fi hip hop, which is not. You know, it's not rapping. It's it's just basically music that you might hear in a doctor's office, but it's it's really interesting or like a W Hotel lobby or something. Mm -hmm. It's right. super interesting, but there's typically no vocal. And it's I just I love having sounds, um, you know, on and some I focus more on than others. Um, Endel is based in Berlin and it runs a kind of a cross platform ecosystem of a bunch of like AI powered apps and they produce personalized sounds to help people focus, relax and sleep. It also uses personal inputs from the user's movement, time of day, weather, heart rate, location, and other factors to produce personalized, what they call soundscapes. Endel says it's ecosystem of soundscapes already has over a million monthly users who listen to, you know, at an aggregate of a million and a half hours of their sounds every month. Wow. Crazy. Now, and it, again, I, I ask you this periodically, as you stare into your crystal ball, you know, when we move forward, is is the right place for this, this type of music the same place that we would listen to Drake or 
contemporary pop music. And at some point, does this get split off into some sort of different service? Yeah. And, you know, or is it designated, you know, like we talked about last week, it's like packaging for food. You know, this contains, you know, uh, unnatural ingredients, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Yeah. So um, at least the way they're describing it here, it's, you know, it's this one sector of, of the industry um, where they can uh, grow it. And it's definitely, you know, there's a, a need for it and a demand for it. I think the other part of this equation that we talk about is, okay, and, and he alluded to this, uh, Oleg did when I spoke to him, let's say you're working with Universal and you have all these, you know, John Coltrane, Bob Marley, you know, whoever it is, you have these, uh, these great catalogs. If the rights holder, let's say it's the estate or the artist wants it, Universal will um, make it happen with Endel where they could draw on this body of work and create new generative AI versions, new songs, I should say, that are done in the style using that intellectual property. And I know a lot of people think that's sacrilege. Um, I'm finding it super interesting um, what they're creating. And you and I talked about over the last couple of weeks, Holly Herndon with Holly Plus, you know, Mm -hmm. or Grimes, you know, I love the fact that people are, are able to not only create new works, but create, um, a voice in their own voice in different languages, you know? So if you don't speak Portuguese or you don't speak, you know, whatever it is, you can create songs for these different markets, your songs with using your voice in these languages. I just think that we're, we're about to turn the corner into this new world and there's no going back. Yeah. And, and I'm curious also, so, you know, let's, let's say this AI created functional music, let's say it's, it's a, a track that's meant for sleep. Is that copyrighted by Endel? Does it have a publishing copyright? Does it have a master copyright? Is it, is it paid out the same way that a song from Bob Marley is paid out? Yeah. And we talk about that. That'll be part of one of the stories that we're covering, you know, the difference between, let's say rain sounds Mm-hmm. and something that has an actual uh, composer. And there's two parts to this that we talk about. One is, is it drawing on someone's body of work? That's pretty cut and dry that that should be like sampling or yes. anything else. That there's there's publishing and, and things to be paid. If it's not, you know, like some of these um, are derived from stems where they have their own musicians and their own people drawing from that, then they, they're creating it in-house and there are different... Uh, rules, uh, to that. So it's, it's just so fascinating to me that I love the fact that universal jumped in on this. Um, Endel, by the way, has already worked with Warner music group. They did that a few years ago. They've already worked with Amazon. I read, um, which is super, super interesting, but you know, uh, Michael Nash from uh, universal music group said that he's super excited, you know, to work together and utilize Endel's, um, patented AI technology to create new music soundscapes. There's that word again, anchored in our artist centric philosophy. And what this is telling me is that it's going to be both. It's going to be those moods and those, those things that we talked about music for sleep or, you know, that, that type of thing, that lo-fi hip hop, whatever that is that where it's generating these, these sounds. And who's to say that they're not legit. If, if listeners are listening to them millions of times or billions of times, that's, that's legit. 
but the part that excites me is when they start partnering with an, a universal artist, let's say it's U2 or whoever, and they generate a new U2 album, or what if it's an, an artist that's deceased and they generate a new, you know, John yeah. Coltrane album based on his body of work, that just blows my mind. Yeah, boy, it just makes your head spin when you start thinking about that stuff. But uh, very interesting stuff, boy, let me tell you. And like you said, you know, it's, uh, it is coming. And these sort of relationships, we're going to see a lot more partnerships like this. And it's just, I mean, it's exciting and it's new and it's, you know, it's, it's come so well. It, well, as you said, you know they did a deal with with Warner sometime back, so it's been bubbling under. Yeah. But it's just it's so in the public consciousness right now. It's so all over media. This whole thing and boy, it's everywhere, right? See, it's everywhere. It is I mean, I sent you a text last night that I downloaded the new beta version of Photoshop, and it now has yeah. built into it generative AI. And my brother Jeff, who's this amazing graphic artist, he's done work for like Cirque du Soleil and Live Nation. I mean, he's like world class. Anyway, he sent me a couple of funny uh, photos that he had used AI, you know, like this. Uh, Seattle ferry going across the, uh, and then there's like this giant floaty and this uh, volcano going off in the background. And it looks like a real Super photograph. Real. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It totally did. Yeah. Uh, AI. The tools, the to yeah, it's here everywhere. And uh, we will continue to talk about it because it's fascinating. So uh, on to the next story, Jay. Hey, number two, this is from uh, Music Business Worldwide. There are now 120,000 new tracks hitting music streaming services each day because 100,000 a day just wasn't enough. Right? Yeah. It's... Uh, <laughs> And this is also from Marie Stassen. Uh, as they say, uh, Music Business Worldwide Stat of the Week. It's a series of in which they highlight data points that deserve the attention of the global music industry. And uh, yeah, it's well, just when you thought they couldn't get more stuff added to the services. Yeah. And there's more, stuff. you know, let's I, I love Music Business Worldwide and, and they do go on to explain what this is in the piece, but it's so mm -hmm. much more than the headline. Um, so let's break that down. What they're talking about, number one, is ISRCs. And an yes. ISRC code is a unique identifier um, on the master side that every song has, um, every version of a song has that unique identifier um, that carries with it for life. But, you know, an artist may release a single and have 12 ISRCs, meaning 12 different yes. versions, you know, a dance mm -hmm. mix and acoustic, whatever. Uh, with other people on it. So take that into account that this is ISRCs, not songs. Um, that's one thing. The other is this is across audio and video platforms. So they're looking at Q1 2023. And yeah, because you're including YouTube, you're including SoundCloud. Yeah. So that's why that mm -hmm. number is so high. Um, we reported on a story from our friend Glenn Peoples from Billboard who wasn't looking at Q1 2023. He was looking at uh, the year of 2022. And that average is closer to half that if you're just looking at Spotify. So SoundCloud, you know, they, they don't have 100 million tracks. They have, you know, over 350 million tracks. So Unreal. And they have, you know, and it doesn't make it any less legitimate than anything else. It's just the barrier to entry is a little lower uh, mm -hmm. to getting on there. So I just wanted to, you know, kind of point out those caveats that, 
Yeah, there's 120,000 tracks if you include YouTube and SoundCloud. But if you're just looking at Spotify, that number is is roughly roughly half that. But this comes from uh, Luminate, which you know used to be MRC SoundScan. It, their new Q1 2023 report. Well, and they have an interesting chart to just to kind of it, to put it in perspective of how many ISRCs are created each year. Uh, if you just go back to you know 2018, not that long ago, uh, for the entire year, 16.4 million ISRCs created. Uh, but then you know we're, we're talking now 10.8 million just in Q1. Uh, it's just stunning. And again, this is, like you said, this is kind of opened up now to YouTube and to SoundCloud, but it's still, it's music that is available for people to listen to somehow. Yeah. And it's overwhelming the onslaught of stuff that you can have access to. Yeah. And I think AI has something to do with that as well um, because those numbers, you know, continue to grow at a pretty good clip. You had mentioned 2018, there were only 16.4 million ISRCs for that entire year. Just the following year, 2019, it increased almost 60% in one year to 25, almost 26 million um, ISRCs that particular year. Um, it's it's become, well, I shouldn't say simple. It, it's, it's hard to write a great song. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to write a hit song. But... It's easy to record something and get it up on YouTube, SoundCloud, and and frankly, even Spotify and Apple Music, Pandora, Deezer, Angami. If you're using, you know, something like CD Baby, DistroKid, uh, TuneCore, Stem, you know, it's it's easier than when you and I uh, played in bands, and you know that was that was a lot harder uh, to do that. Um, and I think because it's easier and people can record on their iPad, you know, and get some pretty decent sounds, you know, with all of the tools that are out there for musicians today, that barrier to entry is really low. Right. And, uh, but of course you and I have talked about this a lot in the past. There's so much music up there that has never been listened to ever 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 uh we talk about the website forgotify because you can go there anytime and listen to a song that nobody else has ever listened to yeah um but you know as we move forward but when you talk about all of these tracks somebody's paying for the hosting of that somebody's paying for the storage of that the cloud storage of that and at some point do the the major services say okay you've got zero listens over the last three years we're going to remove you from our service. Or you pay right? a fee. Or you pay a fee to you keep know. it up. Yeah. So uh, I, I can't imagine we're that far from from those decisions being made. Uh, yeah. But it's it's not inexpensive to to host all this music. And so it's fascinating that it just keeps... And, and do you see any slowdown in this in terms of the... I, I, I don't see it changing. It, it's If anything, it's getting far easier to make music. Yeah, I think the numbers are going to increase exponentially. And I think um, there are a lot of people that uh, agree with me, in, including Lucian Grange. Um, you know, he said that most of this, you know, well, most of the AI content that are on, that's on DSPs come from a previous generation of AI. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, that's an AI technology that's not really trained on copyrighted IP. And the the quality was sort of poor. And so going forward, you know, you've got things like Endel that we just talked about where you can create high quality 
um, audio, um, songs and generative AI based on someone's body of work that will only increase, you know, a lot of these people, you know, epidemic sounds, you know, they're, you know, people that use band lab and, you know, they can get all the tools that they need to create things. It's just making it easier to not only create music, but to create good sounding music. But that doesn't mean that everybody's going to have a great song. But, you know, that takes, you know, a creator. It takes a songwriter to, I believe, to create something that can make you laugh or make you cry, you know, and I'm sure AI will get there at some point. Um, But I do believe that it's going to only increase the number of tracks that we see on DSPs going forward. Yeah. I love the phrase that Lucian has used in the past, content over supply. Yes. That, that's that's so accurate. Um but yeah, it's it's happening and it's so much there's just it's so relatively easy. And yeah. uh, we are gonna keep talking about this because it's not changing, as you said, it's it's just gonna keep accelerating. Yeah. And wh- how will that change the services over the long run? We don't know. But I'm gonna guess that it at some point you have to say stop. And, you know, figure out something. Um, but but maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, let's move on to the next story, Jay. It's from Billboard. Uh, songwriters uh, streaming rates from 2018 to 2022, which is in the past, in case you don't know, have been determined. Finally. Yeah. So this is another story talking about uh, the, co- or the copyright royalty board, yes. which... You know, we talked a few minutes ago about stuff that we have learned along the way. And the whole process with which the Copyright Royalty Board works has been eye-opening and and new stuff for me, knowledge-wise. I did not understand how that all worked. I didn't either. Uh, you know, a few a couple of years ago, we really started getting into the Copyright Royalty Board. And um, it was really Chris Castle, um, our friend uh, from Music mm-hmm. Technology Policy, um, who really kind of educated us on what the CRB is, what it does. You know, it's a panel of judges and it determines rates, you know, that songwriters uh, and publishers get paid. And, you know, we've been talking about the, the CRB issued this, you know, landmark uh, determination last Tuesday for Phono Records 3 or CRB 3. And it's maintaining an uh, up to a 44% raise for U.S. songwriters and uh, publishers. And uh, that's for that period you just mentioned, you know, 2018 to 2022. Um, the ruling increases those royalties each year during the five-year period from 11.4% to 15.1% of service revenue by 2022. So this is all good news. And, you know, some of this was being challenged by, you know, maybe DSPs had gotten in there and had challenged some of these. And look, there's a finite uh, amount of revenue. Um, and there's this, this pie and it's just like Merc, uh, Mercuriatus has been screaming from the rooftops and, and we have echoed. And that is that the songwriter is the foundation of everything in the music industry. And they're the least, uh, paid, uh, or remunerated. There's that word again. Still doesn't make any sense to me. Um, doesn't sound right. Doesn't sound right. But they should be paid more. Um, and I think this is uh, definitely. We saw this coming, and we know that this is a step in the right direction. Yeah, and you know, so much of this content, or so much of this conversation, talks about uh, total content cost. Mm. 
which is very interesting. Um, you know, how much is is kind of the maximum that can be paid uh, paid out on a given term and things like that. So it's pretty dense, but it's you know they and this was this was things that were kind of. Um, uh, when it first came out, again, we're talking about the time period for 2018 to 2022, and it's, it's finally been ruled upon. And again, looking back at the past and, and changing things. Um, and yeah. so it, it's, it's, it's complex just in how that happens, that how, how well, it's in the past. How can you do that? Because these things take time to get worked out over the, over the months and years. And, and, yeah, and they get challenged, right? And they get challenged. And they, right, they also, exactly. they also, get negotiated. And I think that's really important because there was an appeal and they, mm-hmm. that appeal had a few key wins for streaming services. You know, it reinstalled a, a rate cap of 80 cents per subscriber. Yep. Um, and then also while the music business was really hoping for that TCC rate that you just mentioned, they were hoping for one of 26.2%. The streaming services requested and received a range of different rates, depending on the offerings from a lesser of, you know, about 21% of TCC up to 22% of TCC. So there's some negotiations going on there as well. The bottom line is, you know, the release of this initial determination, they're calling it, it focuses on, you know, this past era for streaming, but furthers the opportunity for all parties to move forward with a focus on the landmark settlement reached last year, governing terms for streaming royalties through 2027. Right. So it is pretty complex, but it is worth checking out because, again, all of these things are super important about how things get paid out and what the total costs can be. And yeah. it is dense. It is dense. But, you know, we're, we're making strides. And um, and what's fascinating, again, is kind of opening the curtain to see how all of this stuff yeah. works and these negotiations and how long it takes and what are the components of these negotiations and what people want. It's it's really amazing to see kind of how the sausage is made. Yeah. And, and if you really if you want to dig deep into this stuff, if you find this interesting, if you're a songwriter, um, you really want to understand it. Check out Music Technology Policy. It's a website mm-hmm. by our by our friend Chris Castle, and I don't know if anyone covers um, these proceedings better uh, than Chris Castle does. So so please check that out. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, all right, I know. Last story, Jay. Uh, it's from Music Ally. Uh, dispelling the utopian dream, <laughs> the complex reality of music royalties, <laughs> and there we are again with. Music royalties, and I can't. I mean, I keep ta- I keep saying this all the time, but you know, when in my early days of of working in the music business, all of this stuff was just stuff that I never touched, never understood, never was involved with. There must have been some people in the building that knew about this, but it it's all of these things were were just not on my radar yeah. as. Uh, as, as, as I was working with artists. Um, yeah. But it's so important to know, again, how the sausage is made and where the money is coming from. Well, especially today. And I think people are more into learning about um, all of these royalties because of the pandemic. Um, that really took the wind out of the sails of a lot of artists because they couldn't tour and sell much merch. Um, mm-hmm. That they started looking at what they were being paid for you know, uh, things like streaming and they started looking at royalties and renegotiating things. So this is a guest column from music ally. We love music ally, um, by Virginie Berger. 
And she's got, she's an executive with like 20 years experience in rights management, digital transformation, um, lots of great experience. And what I found interesting about this is she kind of called out some challenges. She said that music royalties are essentially uh, for ensuring artists, songwriters, and other stakeholders that they receive fair compensation for their work. That's the bottom line, mm -hmm. right? Yep. But there are challenges and the challenges in the royalty system are numerous. And, and I'll kick it off with the first one. She said, one of the, one of the biggest challenges is transparency, you know, in, in the royalty payment system. Um, and she said in a 2015 survey by the future of music coalition, 55% of respondents reported having difficulty understanding their royalty statements with many of them citing a lack of transparency as a major issue. This lack of transparency can make it difficult for artists and rights holders to to determine that's easy for you to say if they are receiving their fair share of earnings as the royalty payment process can be tricky with many intermediaries involved. Yes. Now, and you've had a little bit more experience with me than me reading royalty statements, but I have seen a few of them and they are, it's, it's really confusing. It's really hard to get to the, to the bottom of it. So one of the next things uh, she mentions is again, the complexity of royalty calculations. The music royalty landscape is incredibly complex mm -hmm. involving multiple types of royalties, such as performance, mechanical, and the synchronization royalties. Calculations vary depending on the type of royalty, the medium in which the music is consumed, and the contractual agreements in place. This complexity often makes it difficult for artists and rights holders to understand and track their earnings accurately. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. It is so it's complex. Hard. And you mentioned yes. um, these statements, just the sheer volume of line items uh, that you have. It's not as simple as just streams, downloads, you know, things like that. There's, there's many different uh, layers to that onion. The third one is inaccurate metadata. And this has been a thorn in my side for years. Um, and if you are an artist, manager, um, label, Make sure you go into Sound Exchange, for example, and check to make sure that your metadata is correct. Um, we found a lot of issues there. So um, she points out that incomplete or incorrect metadata, such as songwriting credits, that can lead to lost or misallocated royalties. And I promise you, we've seen this firsthand many times. Uh, proper metadata management is crucial for ensuring that royalties are distributed accurately, but the process can be time-consuming and prone to errors. Amen. Ugh, amen. Uh, she also mentions delayed payments. If you're an artist, you know all about delayed payments. Royalties are often paid out months or even years after the music has been consumed making it challenging for artists to manage their finances and plan for the future. The delay in payments can be attributed to the complex nature of royalty calculations and the multiple intermediaries involved in the process. Jumping into number five, global discrepancies. Different countries have unique rules and regulations governing music royalties. That can make it super difficult for artists and rights holders to navigate the international royalty landscape. Additionally, collecting royalties from foreign territories, that can be cumbersome and involve added costs. Right. Of course, she mentions the impact of streaming. With the shift to streaming platforms, royalty rates for artists have been significantly impacted. Streaming services typically pay out lower royalty rates compared to physical sales or downloads, and the per-stream payment model can result in smaller earnings for artists, especially independent and emerging musicians. 
Number seven is KYC. Know your customer. Proper identification of rights holders is crucial for ensuring accurate royalty distribution. The KYC process involves verifying the identities of artists, songwriters, and other stakeholders in the music industry to prevent fraud, money laundering, misallocation of royalties. However, the KYC process can be time-consuming and labor-intensive, and surprisingly, very few stakeholders have a KYC, Know Your Customer, process in place. And then she mentions exception issues, exceptions like sound effects. Some audio content, such as sound effects like rain sounds, we were talking about this earlier, mm -hmm. may not be recognized as eligible for royalties due to their nature or the lack of clear ownership. These exceptions can create challenges in the royalty distribution process as platforms may still distribute and monetize such content. Interesting. Number nine is fraudulent accounts, covers, etc. And we see this a lot. Individuals or entities create fake accounts or release unauthorized covers of songs to exploit the work of the original artists and rights holders. These actions can lead to misallocation or loss of royalties as the um, earnings generated by the fraudulent activity are wrongly attributed to the perpetrators rather than the legitimate rights holders. Big problem. Yeah. She also mentions DSP claiming and back claim periods, the time gap between the end of the collection period and when DSPs make the final residual payments can create inconsistencies and delays in royalty payments. Yeah, and the next one is multi-rights, multi-territory management. Managing royalties across multiple rights, and for example, mechanical, performance, sync, and territories adds to the complexity. This requires a thorough understanding of each territory's legal framework, as well as efficient tracking and collection systems that can handle multi-rights and multi-territory scenarios. Right. And how about collection mandates with repertoire carve-ins and carve-outs, rights holder registration, sister society mandates, rights holder affiliations, BIEM rules, and Anglo-American repertoire rules. The music royalty landscape between, becomes even more intricate. Mm. Ensuring accurate payments and accounting for these complex arrangements can be challenging and may demand collaboration among various stakeholders including rights organizations, publishers, and tech companies. Uh, and the last like, one, I mean, look, my head's about to explode. It's you need a professional <laughs> that really understands all of these complexities yes. to help you, you know, get that revenue um, and, and that monetization. So she said there's also other things like royalty payments. Are, they're often based on predetermined schedules. There's a lack of connection between distributors and rights organizations to reconcile ISRC codes and ISWC. And you'll remember, we talk about this a lot. ISRC is on the master side and the mm -hmm. ISWC is on the publishing side. And that's a whole nother discussion. So these complexities, like with user-generated content, uh, non-music videos, various types of common works registrations, let's not forget about the different formats of cue sheets used around the world. So there's a lot of other things too. Well, and one of the things she actually doesn't mention that I've certainly bumped into a number of times is when people die. And so suddenly you're trying to pay out royalties and you're trying to kind of figure out, well, who is now, uh, who, who legally has the rights to this person's royalties? And yeah. we've had, uh, we've had, we've had to look at, at, uh, um, trusts and things like that to, and, and proof of, uh, 
<laughs> proof that people are who they say they are in terms of like, yes, I am that person. I am that widow or widower. And it is just a mess and it takes forever and a day. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I, I, you know, especially major labels rightfully are criticized from, from the sometimes for, for how, um, how slow they are to pay in certain cases. But having witnessed the back end of situations like this, I can tell you it, it's, it takes a long time to deal with. And it, it's sometimes it's very opaque and you're trying to figure out who is truly who and who deserves the payments. And yeah. It's really, a, it can be a total and utter mess. Yeah, it's not always <laughs> nefarious, right? It's the, no. the intent there. And I do believe that the industry can do a much better job at, you know, paying out um, quickly, more quickly. And uh, we'll see, you know, we were talking to Tracy Chan at SoundCloud, you know, at Music Biz, you know, about one of the things that they're trying to do with, um, you know, moving away from the pro rata model to the, you know, market centric user centric, you know, where, you know, if you play, you know, uh, an artist all month that they get or their rights holder gets your, your 10 bucks or at least the, that portion of it. Um, and then also the second part of that is like paying that out more quickly. And, and mm -hmm. I, I think that can happen and should happen. But I think what you're talking about, there's some complexities there where somebody moves and doesn't uh, fill out the right forms and they don't have their contact information. And I've seen this firsthand where it's a challenge, even if they haven't passed away, but they can't get a hold of them. They, they can't yes. find them. And it takes time and energy to track people down. And you would think that if you're getting checks in the mail, that when you moved, that you would make sure you forward the people who, who are paying you know where you're going, but it ha it's, it's stunning how many checks come back in the mail yeah. and you know, it, it's, they've moved and they've no forwarding address. Yeah. And so suddenly you're hanging on to that and now having to accrue an account for that on the, you know, for people that have disappeared and yeah. then all of a sudden they come out of the woodwork and they're mad because they haven't gotten their checks. And it's like, well, You've disappeared. It's just, yeah. there's a lot of crazy things out there that happen yeah. in terms of trying to get people paid. And, you know, I, I want to get paid. And when I move or if I move, I want to make sure that check shows up. But it's stunning how many people just blow it up. Well, off. it's not always you. Um, we had a couple of instances where they changed accounting firms and they didn't alert all of the right people. And so some of the things were being sent to their old accounting firm. And then instead of being forwarded along, they got sent back and it just, it creates a mess. So I guess the lesson here, you know, I mean, there's so much to learn about all these complexities and, and I highly encourage you to, to look at this guest column in music ally by uh, Virginia Berger. It's so good. Um, lots to learn there. Um, but you gotta make sure that you keep up your metadata and it's all accurate. And if, uh, if you're a recording artist, make sure that if, if you move or your accountant changes that you make sure that everybody's notified of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you will have a little bit of sympathy and empathy for your royalty department. If you have one, when you read this article. So, uh, you know, as we wrap up the show, Jay, we do need to acknowledge a big loss this week. Actually, Tina Turner passed away and, uh, <sighs> Boy, yeah. what a giant icon giant of the music business. Yes. And if you haven't seen it yet, uh, there was an HBO documentary from two years ago, I think, uh, just called Tina. That is a great overview of her career. Fantastic documentary. We love the documentaries. And, uh, yeah, we sure do. I highly recommend you check that out. Yeah. But, uh, 
It's, uh, you know, we're, it's sad to see uh, giants like that pass. But uh, on that note, we do want to thank everyone for listening in. Boy, Jay and I certainly appreciate it. We also want to thank our sponsors, uh, Hypebot and Bands in Town. Boy, couldn't do it without you all, so big thanks. So uh, until next week, join us then. Thanks for listening to episode 146 of the podcast. On behalf of Jay Gilbert and myself, we say thanks, and we'll see you next time on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.